Hello, and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and today we are talking to Cary Grant. I am such a huge fan of this woman who is behind what I think is some of the most important animated content in my kids' lives, in my life as a mom, and in so many of yours who are listening. Carrie was born in Jamaica, and when she was 11, she moved to New York with her family. She has been a staff writer on so many incredible kid-friendly projects like Doc McStuffins, as well as Disney's Elena of Avalor, Mira Royal Detective, and served as co-story editor on Nickelodeon's Nella the Princess Knight. She's also now the showrunner and executive producer on Netflix's new animated show, Ada Twist Scientist. And I am so honored to have her on today as our guest on Acting Up. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Courtney. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I'm so excited. I am such a huge fan of your work, as are my kids, as are my nieces and nephews, and my sister, and everyone who's ever been lucky enough to follow these incredible, inclusive animation projects. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I've been doing this for a long time now and just kind of thinking back on my career starting at the Backyard Again, it feels really good to have, you know, had a part in bringing these characters to life. Backyard Agains, that was my jam. People who are parents know, like the kids take over in that age of like two to five to six. Like it's all about keeping the baby happy, keeping the baby calm, keeping the baby busy while I go take a shower for 10 minutes. And so many things are so noisy or like annoying. And I remember I didn't have kids at the time, but I had a niece and nephew who are only a year apart. They loved Backyard Agains. And I would stop and really watch it, get into it, laugh, love the music, love like is that hippo black? <laughs> Do I hear a black girl in there? You know, like yep. who is Uniqua? I just thought it was so like groundbreaking at the time and so entertaining. And I wondered how did you even come to that project? Like back me up a little bit and get me into how you found yourself in this position. Okay. So I love telling this story just because I did not expect to find myself in this position at all. I think the story starts with a decision I made when I was at the end of my sophomore year in college. It goes that far back. (laughs) I was an accounting major in college because I got it in my head that I had to do something sensible and For whatever reason, I thought, oh, I have to do something in business or law or whatever, especially being an immigrant. You know, I felt like my parents didn't directly apply that pressure, but I just felt the pressure to do something sensible. Even though I was a writer, I started writing when I was about 13 years old, started writing poems. And so I went to college. I was like, I have to major in business for whatever reason. I majored in accounting and I would go back to my room and write every night, but it just did not occur to me that I could be a writer for a living. Like it just didn't even enter my thought process. So, but the end of my sophomore year, I had a business law final and I went and got the grade and you know how they used to post your grades on the door or whatever. So I went, <laughs> saw my grade. I got a 50 on the final because I had fallen asleep in it because I had been studying so hard for all of the various classes that came with being an accounting major. And I remember that day so vividly, I just made a beeline to my advisor's office and I was like, I'm changing my major. 
But because I was already so late in the game, being at the end of my sophomore year, I thought I can't start over. So what am I going to do? I decided to keep business as my major, but I added a bunch of stuff that I liked, you know? So I found out that my school had this option to um, major in individualized studies. So I just added some classes I liked, you know, dance class and writing and everything creative that was not accounting or business related. And one of the classes I decided, okay, I'm going to switch my major. What's the most creative of the business majors? And I decided marketing was. So I'd switched my focus to that and then stumbled upon this year-long advertising class that at the end of it had a national student competition. So in this advertising class, at some point we had to come up with a campaign for Hallmark. And I remember we were making up a little skit that we had to do. You know, I was hailing a cab in the skit. I was like, where should I say I want to go? And they're like, just make it up. And I, so I said 44th and Broadway, and this is going to come in later. So that's why I'm telling you this whole story. So I said 44th and Broadway. Fast forward, we won the competition and as prizes for winning, we got internships. And four of those internships were at ad agencies. And by then I was like, okay, I, I know I do not want to do that. Not, nothing's wrong with advertising, yeah. but I just knew it wasn't for me. But the fifth internship was at Nickelodeon. So I was like, that's the one I want, right? So I remember I called up the internship coordinator and I said, where your office is located? And she said, 44th and Broadway. Stop. <laughs> Harry. I just feel like on so many levels, it just feels like I'm been exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I ended up at 44th and Broadway, the Nickelodeon offices in New York, started as an intern in the programming department. And then shortly after that, I got a job in this really small two-person department at Nickelodeon called Viewer Services, where I had to answer phone calls and fan mail. <laughs> wow. So people would call about all kinds of things, like you name it, people would be calling to either praise us, but mostly complain. That job was kind of crazy in terms of the complaints we would get because I was responsible for Nickelodeon, Nick at Night, and TV Land. And people would write letters, you know, like little kids would write letters sometimes to the Rugrats. And <laughs> I would respond on behalf of the Rugrats. No way. Did no, you really do that? I did, but I would say stuff. I would be, I would say Tommy and Chucky and Phil and Lil, you know, Susie, they can't write yet. So they asked me to send you a letter. That's where this all started. And then right around 9-11, I got laid off. And so I did some odd jobs for a little while. I worked at a coffee shop. I taught second graders in an after-school program. I did all kinds of things. But then I still had friends who worked at Nickelodeon. And my friend hired me to temp for her while she was away. And I had to do like an in-house production. And I remember the day I was sitting on a bench in Union Square, New York. And I was like, I want to be in production. Like, I really want to pursue this writing. And I want to be in production. And then a couple of weeks later, an opportunity to apply for the job as a script coordinator on the Backyard Against came up. And then so I applied for the gig, even though I had no experience, like very little experience directly as a script coordinator directly. But I applied, I got the job, and um, then I just started learning. Wow. Is script coordinator kind of like a, an entry level writing position in TV speak? So it is a lower level position. Your job is to support the writing team. Got it. And the executive producer of the show. So I was responsible for distributing scripts to the network and the people on the show, the animation studio. So keeping track of all the stages of the scripts, distributing the scripts to everybody, managing the script schedule, you know, making sure that people were turning their stuff in on the deadlines. 
and also proofreading. It was a lot of proofreading of scripts, being in certain meetings, being in, in at least on the backyard again, it's different for every production, but on that production, I was also at the voiceover record sessions. The backyard again had like real people dancing and then the animators animated to the real dancers so I would go to the dance shoots sometimes I think a lot of people who do enter the industry as a script coordinator want to be a writer so that's sort of like your opportunity to get in there it's like proximity to the writing process see how it all works and then eventually maybe you'll get an opportunity to write your own script. And that's what happened. So I was a script coordinator for a couple seasons on the show. And then came the day when I finally mustered up the courage to say, hey, can I write my own script? And my boss at the time, Janice Burgess, shout out to Janice Burgess, who's the executive producer and showrunner of Backyardigans. And Adam Peltzman, who was the head writer at the time, they both gave me that opportunity to write my first script couple questions. So after that first kind of internship at Nickelodeon, and once you realize, okay, I want to be a creative, were you attracted to kids programming and animation just because you had been at Nickelodeon or had you always had interest there? You know, growing up in Jamaica, we actually didn't even have a TV till I was nine years old. (laughs) So it's just... I laugh sometimes thinking about that because I'm like, how did I end up working in TV? And when we moved here, I was about 11 and I would watch cartoons and stuff with my brother. You know, we'd watch, he was, he's younger than me, six years younger. So we'd watch GI Joe, Gem and the Holograms. Like Gem was so good. They need to bring Gem back. That was they, good. I say that all the time. They need to yeah. bring Gem back. And I, I want to, you heard it here first. <laughs> there we go. Let's do it, girl. We'll hang up this call and get cracking. Yes. Fraggle Rock. Oh. You know, so loved all those Hercules. Like I loved mm-hmm. all that classic animation stuff. But I wouldn't say I had a professional interest in making it my career until I got to Nickelodeon. And when I walked into those offices for the first time and I was like, what? You can do this for a living? Like the offices were bright and colorful and it was just like a bunch of young people running around and everyone had a TV in their office (laughs) and and I could be a writer and I could do something like this. Like it just blew my mind. It just, it really, it was like walking into a portal, you know? like a magic portal. I was like, wow, you can do this. So yeah, I would say I had an early interest in animation, but never really thought I could make a career out of it or even make a career out of being a writer. So the two things kind of came together once I was at Nickelodeon. When you first got to Nickelodeon as an intern and you were exposed to this, you know, whole new world of creativity, did you see anybody in those offices that looked like you? A few, not a lot. Okay. I remember some very specific people. I was in the programming department as an intern, and there were these two really powerful Black women at the helm that I I just, my little, like, 21-year-old, bright-eyed self really looked up to these women. And the woman who ended up hiring me to work with her in viewer services was a Black woman, Sakina Irish. She gave me my first job at Nickelodeon. So it just feels like, for me... My path, like as even after I got to the backyard again, Janice Burgess is also a black woman helming that show. There weren't a lot of us, definitely not. There were definitely a handful, but it just, something about the the path that I've taken seems to have been lined (laughs) with powerful black women. 
I love that for you. I love that for all of us. That's so <laughs> fantastic. You know, I thought the backyard again, for me at least, was really one of the, I mean, gosh, and you said Rugrats. Now I'm thinking about Rugrats. Nickelodeon itself, I think for a long time with its animated stuff has been more inclusive and more representative than the rest of the big ones at any given time. Like, I think that I even remember Doug, you know, you're like, what race are they? They're purple. Like, does it not matter? Some people are purple. Like, you know, the girl that he had a crush on was darker skinned than him at a time where you never really saw that. And it wasn't a big deal, but it kind of felt like a big deal. Rugrats, I remember being obsessed with Susie and her family whenever they would be on and that she was like really good at stuff. Even as a kid, I think I expected her to be because she wasn't an every episode character like Susie will come and there will be trouble. And that wasn't it. Susie was like the good girl and she was good at all the competitions and the games and she was kind and her hair was different than Angelica's and that was okay. And I had never seen that before. When the Backyardigans came around, I was exposed to it through my nieces and nephews and same, like these are animals, they're not people. So there weren't black faces on the screen but they moved and they talked and they sounded black. It just made it so normal and so cool. And there were so many dance moves and music from different countries. And it was just made so normal that everybody is different and that we should appreciate all of these differences. And what were their names? Like Tyrone, Uniqua. Tyrone, Uniqua, Tasha, Pablo, and Austin. The fact that these little kids, you know, pre even going to school are hearing the names Tasha and Uniqua and Tyrone in their homes was a big deal. Yeah. You know, and 10 years later, now I have kids, they watch the backyard again. And I loved that for them. Um, they've watched all of the shows that you have worked on and now they have Ada Twist and I'm so excited. Like we did a countdown in my house for Ada Twist because they already had the books and my son really, really loves Ada. Like he's actually a bigger fan than my daughter is, you know, and he like, let's watch the trailer. Can we watch the previews? Like, can I see it? Did you get it early? He was really looking forward to this. That's so sweet. What attracted you to the story of Ada Twist Scientist? Because there are books. This isn't the first iteration of her. So what about her were you attracted to? I loved her curiosity. I loved how relentless she was about it. I loved the backstory that, you know, She didn't speak until she was three. And then when she did speak, her first word was why. And I felt really connected to that because I was a kid who asked a lot of questions growing up. I remember I I remember a specific story of being, I was on the track team in high school and my coach would ask us to do stuff and I would always ask a bunch of questions. (laughs) And then she would always just try to shut me down. She was great. I love Miss Coles. But um, she was like, why do you have so many questions all the time? You know what I mean? So that just asking questions about everything, about the world, about wanting to know about every single thing was really attractive to me. And then I also loved, I thought the books were really playful and stylish. I love the style of the illustrations. I love the poetry. You know, like I told you, that was kind of my first foray into writing. So I loved, I was attracted to the rhyme style of the book. And then I loved that her family, that Ada's family went through this arc themselves in the book from being really frustrated and like 
you know, she's driving them crazy, writing on the walls and everything to find, to embracing her in the end and deciding to just let her be her. All of that really spoke to me. I'm so glad that it did because now we get this show, this visual, you know, kind of more interactive iteration of Ada Twist. And she's such a little badass. Like she's such a little hero. I love when my kids are are watching that show. And I wonder if you really have had a chance to recognize the impact that work like this has on shaping, you know, really the lives of little kids and especially little kids of color um, in their, in their just self-identification and self-love and feeling not othered. I think that books and shows are, I mean, they're just, they're just huge. Like I cannot overstate what imagery does to a little kid's psyche. And do you, do you even know, do you realize, do you realize what you're doing over there? (laughs) Um, I think maybe not the entire magnitude of it, but because working away on all of these shows, you you just kind of get into a rhythm of working, doing the work, getting it done. But every now and then I will see like really see someone will send me a picture or somehow a picture will make its way to me of a little black kid watching the show and being captivated by it. You know, today my script coordinator on Ada sent us a picture of her nephew watching the show and pointing at Arthur and smiling, you know? And so yeah, moments like that, I'm like, it just, it never ceases to take me back a little, like throw me back a little bit when I see those images, because like, I know it in theory, but to see it is a whole, like, it really just touches me on a whole other level. You know, like, I love that, that I, that I get to be a part of that, you know, a part of shaping kids' lives and shining a light on amazing Black characters out there. Yeah. And we're in such an interesting time now because, you know, we're talking about Doug and Rugrats and even Backyardigans and fast forward to now. And, you know, Ada's in good company. She's not alone, not even on Netflix. Is she alone? We've got Karma as well, which is, um, we'll talk about that later, but Karma's World is a new show on Netflix mm-hmm. and it's created by uh, Chris Bridges, AKA yeah. Ludacris. And it is very beautifully black as well. Like, yeah. I wrote an episode on karma. It's so good. Karma is <laughs> legit. I will talk about that next. But did you even ever imagine a world where there could be so many? I mean, right now, if I actually focus and try, I could probably name six, seven, eight, maybe 10 animation projects with and about and featuring yeah. Black kids. And that that was not the scenario even when Backyardigans was out, right? Like, no, no, what no. has that been like to, to see that transition? And what do you think kind of influence that. It's amazing to see that transition. Let me just start there. It is beautiful to see. Because I think what what I'm starting to see is, I think for a long time, when you would see Black characters on TV or in film, it was very narrow. Like we, we were kind of put into these very narrow boxes and ways of being. And so a lot of Black kids who didn't fit into those narrow boxes felt a little left out a lot of left out and still invisible. Even now, sometimes when I watch stuff, I always watch stuff with a little bit of like caution just to see how the characters are going to be treated. Not so much now as before, because now I think the difference is that there are, I think, a lot more Black creators and creators of color actually telling their own stories. 
And I think that there's just been gradually over the years, more and more of that has just been opening. I feel like last summer, everything, like a lot of chickens came home to roost, I guess, last summer. A lot of that came to a head. And so I see a lot of corporations and businesses and stuff now are making concerted efforts to kind of put Black voices and voices of color forward. But I think it's been as a result over the years of people just on the inside opening doors for other people. How do you open doors for the people coming behind you? Well, now is kind of one of the first times in my career that I've, you know, had any sort of real power to do that, you know? So I'm really conscientious in my hiring, hiring of the team. Also, I like to mentor and I'm, you know, like mentor people who are coming up, be that, you know, I'm working with a college student right now on her project, you know, and what she's trying to put out into the world. And also offering my services to this other, another student who is working on his master's in animation, just kind of being a external committee member, you know, offering any sort of expertise, guidance, whatever I can offer. And so I think in those three ways, in those two ways, hiring and mentorship, definitely want to do more as I go forward with my career Mm -hmm. in both of those realms, but mostly in the mentorship realm. Sometimes it gets so, it it gets so, it's so easy to, to just be immersed in the work (laughs) that, that that's just what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. But I do think it's important to like leave the door open for people and usher people in also. I mean, how wild is it? Even when you, I think, kind of realize what I was asking you, which is like, sis, like you're, you're there now. Like you are actually on the other side of that table of like, you know, not one, not two, but like now a legacy of projects that are so impactful. Like, that is you now, like you are a person in power and a person who has the power, I think, to really influence the people coming after you. And I just wonder, I always ask people like, is there a moment or has there been a moment? Have you gotten to that moment where it kind of clicks that like, I did, like I did this and I'm, I'm actually really doing this. For me, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's a one moment. Mm-hmm. I think it just keeps coming in waves, honestly, because even starting work on Ada, I was so focused on the creative and making sure that it's a good show, right? Like making, just like getting myself in there with the writing, with the creative process, but also slowly waking up to the fact that, oh, I can affect these changes, like I can, I'm in a position where I can affect these changes in these ways is always kind of, it's, it's, it's like a big, it's a, whenever it hits, it's always a big feeling, you know, it's like, it it kind of throws me back a little bit, like, oh, this is real. This is real. I can affect real lives. You really do. You affect real lives. I see it in my house every day. Gosh, I could talk to you forever, but I have got to wrap this up a little bit. What would you say now, like now that you do recognize the impact and when you have these stories that I would I would imagine you kind of know could be really big or, or go really wide, like what is the intention 
when you are crafting these stories, you know, like, like what goes into kind of building this world that I'm describing to you, my kids see themselves in, like, what does it take to execute that? Ooh, that is a good question. It takes a lot (laughs) to execute that just because there are so many different moving parts, right? So, but just focusing on the stories themselves, my intention with Ada has always been to show this little smart black girl just shining unapologetically and being her brilliant self unapologetically. And also it's really important for me to show her family being a loving family. Still some of that fun sibling stuff that happens with siblings, but I really, really wanted to show this family that people could imagine themselves just hanging out with and having a good time. Wanted to show this Black couple, her parents, you know, loving each other, being playful, raising this beautiful family. And so the stories, uh, not all the stories are focused on Ada and her family, but it's always important to me to, sh- to that they're in that they're somewhere, their presence is known, their influence is known and shown. And for me, it was like the little subtle ways that you communicate, just like the cultural uniqueness of Black people, right? So the show give you an example in an episode, and this is such a small example, but this is stuff that I think about. In uh, Dad Twist, he brings out uh, some cookies to to the new neighbors. And he has it in one of those, you know, those old cookie tins? Yes. You know, the ones. Yes, the The blue ones, yeah. Yeah, the blue ones. Yeah. Even even creating that as a prop was really like, I just love infusing all of those little things into the show that may not be overt. Yeah. And that you may not, nobody's calling it out or spelling it out or whatever, but it's just there for us to see. Yes. And appreciate and and relate to and connect to. And then, and then as an added bonus, you know, one thing I've always heard is specificity tends to be the most universal. I hate when people say that. It's so weird. Do you? I mean, like, I get it, but it doesn't, it come, like, if you really think about it, it doesn't seem like it should work. It actually makes sense. It's counterintuitive. It's definitely counterintuitive. Yeah. The more specific, the more universal. And you're like, how? And then you're like, yes, that yeah. is how it works. <laughs> exactly. So I don't, I feel like what makes good stories is specificity is definitely one of them. And the little, I love just putting the little Easter eggs, whether it be from the books or just, you know, stuff that I know, know from growing up or people on my team, yeah. you know, like we, it's really important to me too, that the, that the team is in a good place that's behind this and we're having a good time. Yeah. And we're loving creating this world that we put out into the world. And I can confidently say that I think that is the case, you know, that they, we, we have real conversations with each other. We laugh a lot and, and, and we're just really all really invested in creating this amazing show, this sweet show. It's sweet. It's fun. It's colorful. 
hopefully everybody wants to be Ada <laughs> at the end of this, but also want to be themselves really fully the way that she is and the way that she embodies herself so fully at such a young age. Yes, absolutely. I want to talk about karma too, because you just told me that you wrote an episode. I loved karma. I love how she looks. Her hair looks like my daughter's hair. And I've talked to Chris about this show. And I know, I know what like a labor of love that has been for him and his family. And, you know, similar with the details, like it's not overt, but I'm telling you, Avery was watching, we were maybe on like the second or third episode of karma. And out of nowhere, she just like holds up her arm and she's like, mom, I'm glad I'm not white. And I actually was really blown away by that because something about watching that show, it just clicked. And it's not like when we're watching, I don't know, some show with white girls in it. She's not like, well, I don't want to be black. But something about watching Karma actually, I think, made her feel what I what I would describe as like pride. In, her, in herself and her skin color, yeah. which I've never seen coming from her naturally like that, like right. out of thin air, just recognizing, oh, like, I'm actually glad I'm like this. Yeah. Like like, them. Yeah. Like she felt empowered. She felt empowered. And I, I was weeping. Like I, I was in tears and I told Chris that and he was weeping too, but it was real. It was, it was so not bullshit. It was so like a light went off inside of her. Um, and I thought that Karma's world did a really good job. Like everybody's colorful in that show. Like even, you know, the white kids are chubby. Like they're, they look real. They look like real kids, the way that they interact, the family, the music, it's very fun. And I wondered what episode of that did you write? And what do you like about Karma? Because we talked about what you liked about Ada. What did you like about Karma? Because I, I love them both and they are kind of different. I wrote the Gardner well, when I wrote it, it was called Garden Party. It may have been changed. No, it's not. It's called Garden Party. Yeah, yeah. that's when I wrote. That's so, a good one. Thank you. <laughs> what I love about what I loved about Karma was her being a writer, her being a poet, essentially. Like you know, her being writing rhymes in her little notebook in her room. That was me. You know, yeah. when I was growing up, writing poems in in my notebook in my room. So I felt directly connected to that. I, I just like the world that they were creating with her family yeah, and where they were growing up, you know, the vibe of that, of, of the environment they were growing up in and just her being a leader, you know, her being a leader, but also being inclusive and cool. But mainly for me, the thing that attracted me the most was just her with her notebook writing her songs. Yes. And that she actually... Like she sees the power in her notebook. I think she loses it one episode and she's like, y'all, like I need this thing, but this is how I express myself. This is how I communicate with the world. And just that seeing like that level of self-knowledge in a little kid is cool because we think we all have that and we don't always know that it's okay to feel good about yourself when you're young. You know, you might like don't show off or don't tell anybody like, don't be proud of that. But I think both of these shows have leads and characters who are very appropriately proud of themselves, proud of where they excel. Karma can rap. Ada is smart as hell. She, you know, and it's celebrated. That's like a, a superpower. And I like that better. I think it's more impactful 
than the other things my kids watch where people have actual superpowers and they're flying. That's cool too. But kind of teaching them to recognize the superpowers that they actually possess, I think is just so, so powerful. And I'm so grateful to you and the work that you do. Thank you so much. I feel like the power of words, just what you were just saying reminds me how powerful words are and how powerful it is to show a character knowing that power, embodying that power and not being, not feeling the need to hide it in any way. Not feeling the need to be something else, to be something that they're not. Because I think a lot of kids feel that pressure. So modeling, the opportunity to model just unapologetic, whatever you are, I feel, I feel grateful. I feel grateful, honestly, for this career that has, you know, started way back then with the Backyardigans and here we are with Ada Twist. So here we are. Yeah. Thank God for that. And I cannot wait to see what is next from you. Such a pleasure speaking with you today. And I hope we talk again soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and suggestions to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod.